And Father, I pray that as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who have tasted and known your love, that we would be vessels through whom your love flows into the world, that we would love one another as Christ loved us. We pray this in his name. Amen. You know, so here John is writing about love, and love is always one of the main themes of John's writings. You know, in fact, all throughout this letter that he's writing, John points out that there are two attributes that define every true believer. One is obedience to God's commands, and the other is love for God and for others. You know, so here John's focusing on love. Now, you know, we're currently in a series that Pastor Dallas is doing on the Gospel of John. You know, and so we've been, we've, last couple of weeks we've looked at Jesus teaching to Nicodemus about the necessity of being born again. You know, well here we've seen that, that John gives a characteristic of one who has been born again. And that characteristic is that, you know, we show love. So those who are born of God, who've been born again, evidence of that, of that will be seen in their life because they will love God and love others. And then, Presumably next week, you know, as we get back into our series in the Gospel of John, you know, we'll look at Jesus and what he says about this great example of love that, that John alluded to here. You know, where God shows his love to us by coming into the world to take our sins upon him on the cross and to give us eternal life through his victory over the grave. You know, so we look to that as being the ultimate picture of love. So now we look at what John says here, and, we'll, and we see some truths about love that will help us, I believe, to live the same kind of Christ-like love in our everyday lives that Christ showed to us. So the first truth that we see from John is that God is the source of all love. You know, in verses 7 and 8, you know, verse 7, John says, love comes from God. And then verse 8, this beautiful verse God is love. You know, so God's nature is love. And God cannot help but to show love because he is love. Everything that God does is immersed in his love. Now, there are those who will argue that if God were truly love, then there wouldn't be judgment. But that gets back to what I mentioned earlier about God, you know, the things that we share with God, you know, love, you know, feeling, the attributes that we mimic of his, his is the ultimate standard. So when we look to love, it's not just some sentimental sappiness that we feel towards someone else. When we look at the true true nature of love as God exemplifies it, We have to remember that God is love, but God is holy. And in the same way that God does not show his holiness without showing love, God does not show love without showing holiness. And that's the beauty of the cross. The cross is a way in which God's love and his holiness are both shown. God's love is evident because Christ laid down his life for us on the cross. But God's holiness is there because in laying down his life, Christ is enduring the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. 
So when we understand that God's nature is love, it's not that God is just some, you know, sappy grandpa who lets you do as you please, but that God's love is a holy love, you know, a love that is so powerful that it divides the gospel to allow us to be spared from the judgment of God. So that is the extent of God's love, a love that is so great that he sent his own son to take our punishment. As C.S. Lewis said, he loved us not because we were lovable, but because he is love. You know, so God's nature is love, but it's a holy love, you know, in which, you know, both his judgment and his mercy are made evident through Christ. Now, because we're made in God's image, all of us are able to show love to some extent. You know, that's one of the things that, that makes the fall so tragic, because when we were created, we were created in the very image of God. We reflected his nature, his character, his likeness. But once we sinned, that was fractured. And we were were alienated from God. Now, we are still in his image, but because of sin, that image is distorted and warped and cracked. So that's why humans are able to show love, but it's a tainted love. You know, it's a love that is often motivated by selfishness or a love that substitutes something pretty good instead of what is ultimate. You know, so even the most vile, wicked person on earth loves somebody. Now, that somebody may only be themselves, but for the most part, you know, a murderer, a thief, a robber, a liar... You know, we'll love their family. We'll love their friends. We'll love their children. We'll love a few people in their lives. But God does not love only those who love Him or only those who are lovable. God loves all of us because we're all made in His image. And because of that love, He made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And so when we think about how we should love, we should not be content with an earthly love that loves when it benefits us to do so, or loving those who love us. I mean, Jesus said that even the pagans and tax collectors do that. But if we are redeemed by Christ, then what he's doing, he is working in our lives to, to work out those distortions, to put those cracks back together so that we accurately reflect the image of God. And that's true of, about how we love. So those of us who are Christians who've been redeemed by Christ are capable of a higher type of love than the world can show. You know, and this is a love that's commonly called an agape love you know, because it's, it's a different word in the... New Testament text that differentiates between the type of love that John's talking about, this divine, holy love that comes from God, as opposed to a brotherly love or an erotic love or just a love of chocolate. We use the same word for all of those things. We use the same word 
you know, for the way that we feel about our wife, our children, our parents, as we do for a car, a house, a job, or chocolate. You know, so it's not very precise, but in, in the Greek in the New Testament, there are many different words used for love, and the one that John's using here is this agape love, which is a high level of love, and you know, really it's, it's a word that isn't used very much outside of the New Testament context, because it is such a unique definition. So basically, when we look at this agape love, we have to look at the, at the nature of God, and we do that through Christ. So, how does Christ love us? When we look at Christ's love, we see that Christ's love is unconditional. You know, again, Christ came to die for the ungodly. Christ came to die for those who were in rebellion against God. Christ came to die for those whose sin was ultimately going to put him to death. You know, so... We don't earn that love. It's not like God looked out through the future and saw that, all right, these people are going to be all right, so you know, I'll, I'll show my love to them. No, it's for whatever reason God had in his, in his vast wisdom you know, that God pours out his love to us through Christ. Not because he knows we're going to be worthy, but because he knows that we are not worthy and that we can only have hope and reconciliation because of his grace and mercy. So when while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an unconditional love. We did nothing to earn that love. It's a selfless love. You know, Paul tells us in Philippians, you know, that Christ, seated at the right hand of God, ruling with the Father, left that throne of glory, took on this mortal flesh, lived in this tainted, sinful world, and ultimately died on our behalf. You know, Christ, when he went about his earthly ministry, was never concerned with what was best for him. He was concerned with what is the Father's will. That's how much he loved the Father, was to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was for him to show this selfless love to undeserving sinners. Related to that, Christ's love is a sacrificing love. You know, agape love is sacrificing. You know, Christ, he sacrificed being at the right hand of the Father to come into this world. Christ laid down his life on our behalf. You know, Christ, when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, Christ eschewed the easy path to power because he loved the Father and did the Father's will. So Christ sacrificed himself on our behalf. And as we have agape love, we sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. And agape love is ultimately a forgiving love. Again, the whole reason why God sent Christ into the world was to provide a means where we can be forgiven of our sins. You know, and so those of us who have been forgiven through Christ because we have experienced this agape love that Christ poured out on us, how then can we not extend that same love to others? 
you know, our sin against God was an infinite sin because we offended a holy, infinite God. It was an unpayable debt. And yet Christ, being infinite, paid it on our behalf. And so now, we are offended by people. And let's face it, their offenses against us are piddling compared to what we did against God. And yet, if a holy God can have his own son die so we can be forgiven, what right do we have to say that we will not forgive someone who wrongs us? You know, so as believers and followers of Christ who've been redeemed by him and filled with his spirit, we can have this same love, this unconditional, selfless, sacrificing, forgiving love that Christ showed to us. Now, the only reason that we can do this in our lives is because we have Christ's Spirit within us. You know, in Romans 5, 5, Paul says that God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. And, you know, we look at the fruit of the Spirit. When Paul gives us those attributes, what's the first one he lists? Love. Now, again, as I said earlier, love is a natural human emotion, But when we are redeemed by Christ and we are filled with His Spirit, we're given this agape love, this love that transcends understanding, this love, you know, that is unconditional, selfless, sacrificing, and forgiving. Things which go against our human nature. We're great at loving those who deserve it. We're great at showing love to those, you know, who are like us. We're great at demonstrating love when it doesn't really inconvenience us. Anybody can do that. But the love that Christ has shown us, we can only show to the world through His power. And because of the the Holy Spirit, we have that in our lives. So basically, when we show agape love, we're basically reflecting God's love in our lives to other people. And through that, God may work through that to draw others to Him. So God is the source of all love, especially agape love. The second thing that we see, and one that I've, that I've touched on already, is that God's love was most fully demonstrated at the cross. What's amazing about the cross, you know, many things. You know, the first is that, you know, Jesus voluntarily gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then here's the key. Listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Christ was not some unwilling victim in his death. Christ was not taken by surprise when the people turned against him. Christ was not dragged kicking and screaming to the cross. Christ willingly laid down his life, willingly, because that was the Father's will and because he loved us that much. And he did this while we were his enemies. 
Think about that. You know, those of you who, who, who are in the military, you know, you've put your lives on the line for our country because you love our country. Would anybody who is in the military die for the enemy? Even, even, for, even more, would you willingly die for the enemy? Give your life to save the enemy? No, soldiers don't do that. Soldiers will do everything in their power and, get, and sacrifice everything for their people, for their nation, but not for the enemy. And yet that's what Christ did. Not only did he lay out his life voluntarily, he did it for those of us who rebelled against him, who hated him, who sinned against him, who deserved nothing but punishment and wrath and judgment. Instead, he gave us love, mercy, and ultimately forgiveness by laying down his life. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of love. A love that is so strong that Christ died not for his friends, but for his enemies. The third thing we see in this passage is that God's love is displayed through the Christian. You know, verse 11, John says that since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us. Now, how did God love us? He loved us enough to give his life for us when we hated him. That's a high standard. But that's the standard that we are called to emulate as Christians. To display that love in our lives. You know, so how do we see this? How do we see God's love displayed through us? Well, I think foundationally, it starts with our love for the Savior. You know, we can only love others if we love God. And in fact, it's our love for others that give evidence of our love for God. You know, so, you know, if we are not, if we are not believers, if we've not given our lives to Christ, we can't love like this. Furthermore, we won't want to love like this. Because, you know, the world looks at this kind of love as foolishness. To give your life for your enemy? What good is that going to do? But when we love Christ, when we love the Savior, then this type of love flows through us to where we can love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, do good for those who hate us. You know, we see it displayed in our love for the saints. You know, on the night of, the, of, of, of his Last Supper, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says in, in John 13, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So there Jesus is talking to his disciples, telling them to love one another in the same way that he loved them. Now that very night, Christ was going to be arrested and set set everything in motion for his crucifixion where he would die for them. And so he's telling them, when you think about this command later, when you know what happened, the same love that I showed for you, you show for one another. 
You know, so again, it's that selfless love we show for one another, that sacrifice for one another. Whether, the, whether they're des- deserving or not, that doesn't affect how we love. We love regardless of whether the person deserves it. You know, so we love the saints. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even before his crucifixion, Christ gave an example of that type of love when he took the towel and went to each of his disciples and washed their feet. So agape love is not just a sacrificing love. It's a serving love. It's a love that's rooted in our humility, in our recognition that we are no better than our brothers and sisters, that before God we are all unworthy, but that through Christ we are all made worthy, not because of our merit, but because of his mercy. And so if the one who himself was worthy served the unworthy, then the unworthy have no right to refuse to serve others who are unworthy. And then we see it displayed in our lives, in our love for the sinner. Again, going back to the cross, on the cross, Christ did not show love for holy people. He did not show love for the righteous. He was showing love for the sinner, for me, for you, for all of us who've lived life our own way and turned our backs on God, which is all of us. So if Christ loves sinners enough to lay down his life so they can be forgiven, how can we not love sinners? How can we refuse to serve those who are sinners? How can we refuse to do good to those, to sacrifice for them? And ultimately, Christ's example, even lay down our lives for them. And we have men and women all over the world for whom this is a reality every day, that their very lives are in danger because they're showing love to sinners by leaving their family, going into the world, so they can tell them about Jesus. So our call may not be to go to to another country to put our lives physically on the line to tell others about Jesus. But how many of us don't share the gospel because we don't want to put our reputation on the line? We don't want to put our comfort on the line. Are we really showing love for God and for sinners when we do that? Are we really serving others and sacrificing for them? The answer is no. And if that's the case, then verse 12 is is something that we should be really attentive to. Because our fourth, the fourth thing we see in this passage in verse 12 is that a lack of love is evidence that we really do not belong to God. You know, John says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God. So when we go through life and we're not showing love, we don't serve others, we don't sacrifice for others, 
Something's wrong. Because Christ spent his whole life on earth serving people, sacrificing himself for people. If we're not doing the same thing, we're not following him. And if we're not following him, then that's a sign that we may not truly belong to him. Or it's a sign that we are in rebellion against him. Either way, either way is the place we don't want to be. But we don't want to be someone who has a delusional sense about where we stand with God, you know, because we've joined a church, or because we prayed a prayer, or because we intellectually checkmarked A, B, and C, and D, and yet don't have love for others. That's a dangerous place to be, you know, because I don't see a lot of qualifying statements here in, in John's passage. You know, he says, everyone who loves has been born of God. You know, he says that if we love one another, God lives in us. I don't see a place where some people who have received God's love, it's okay for some people not to show it. You know, John seems to be saying that if we have been redeemed by God's, by God's love, then we will show that in our lives. And if we don't have that in our lives, that's evidence that we may not be where we thought we were with God. You know, so that's a warning that we should take seriously. Because there, there are many people who, who, whose faith is ultimately not in Christ himself, but it's in a church letter or a church membership. Or a prayer prayed during VBS. Or an experience they had out in the woods. Or someone telling them that they're a Christian. But John tells us, you know, at the end, at the end of his letter, in chapter 5, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, so John's writing this letter so that we who profess to be Christians can know that we are indeed believers, that we indeed have eternal life. And over and over and over, John comes back to these two things as evidence that we do have eternal life. Obedience to God and love for God and for others. You know, and John is not shy in saying, if either one of these is missing from your life, then his assumption is you're not a believer. You know, and so, you know, as we close, my challenge to each one of us is to look at our lives and see, do we have love for God? Do we truly love God enough to the extent that he loved us? And of course we're going to fall short. I'm, I'm not talking about perfection here. But I'm talking about we should be able to, th- we know ourselves if we're honest. We know in our lives if we look for opportunities to serve people. You know, if we have compassion for people who are in need. If we're willing to inconvenience ourselves for others. All of these things, these things do not save us, but they're evidence that we have been transformed by Christ and are being 
transformed by his power. And so, and so I would just challenge each one of us to look at our lives and honestly evaluate, do we love others? You know, do we love others as we love ourselves? Do we love others as Christ has loved us? You know, and if not, you know, pray and ask God to, to show us our hearts, either to show us, you know, that we are truly in need of genuine repentance and faith, you know, or just to fill us with His Spirit, you know, that we, as we go about our daily lives, do accurately reflect Christ to others and show them His love. And so this morning we'll have a perfect opportunity for this type of introspection during the Lord's Supper, you know, in which one of the things that Paul tells us to do is to examine ourselves before we take the bread and the cup to make sure that we are in right fellowship with God and with our brothers and sisters. You know, and, so, and so as Chris comes up and leads us in our closing song, just take this time to, to, to meditate on this and to look at your own heart and ask God to show you, you know, where do you stand? Where, where do you struggle? And for him to give you the power to be transformed in that area. Please pray with me. Father, we praise you for being the perfect embodiment of love and of holiness. And Father, I pray that each one of us would grow in our love for you and our love for our brothers and our love for the lost so that our lives are characterized you know, by this serving of others, by sacrificing on the behalf of others, by putting their 